This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. And this is part two with former champion jockey Johnny Letts and a man who won even more fame away from racing, courtesy of the Channel 10 and Channel 7 networks as the post-race interviewer on board uh, the unforgettable banjo for 21 years. You were 29 years old and well-established among Adelaide's top jockeys when the 1972 Melbourne Cup rolled around. It was the first metric Melbourne Cup At this time, you'd never ridden outside of South Australia, but a phone call changed all of that. Yep, it sure did, John. Um, You know, sometimes you go through in your life um, and and, and things you look back on and you think, it it, it was meant to be 1968. uh, I won the Adelaide Cup on Rain Love and I'd raced very hard to ride him. I think he had seven, seven stone three. And uh, I don't know what it is now. It's about 45 kilos or something, I think it is, in, mm. in the metric. Uh, and I wasted hard. And I came back in. And, and after the race, Graham Hegney, because most jockeys that you talk to, that my, my first dream in my life as a jockey was to win my hometown cup. Um, most jockeys will say a Melbourne cup. But mine was to win the hometown cup because I thought, you know, uh, I, I, I might never, ever get to the Melbourne cup, but I'd love to win my hometown cup. And... And I won it on Rain Lover, and I came in, and Graham Hegney, who'd won it in, in, in 63 with Gadam Gadam, Graham looked up at me, he said, you know, son, he said, uh, he said, in another few months, he said, you're going to be riding the horse that's going to win the Melbourne Cup. And I thought, wow, because Rain Lover was only a three-year-old then, mm. and, and, and uh, he, he would have turned four. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, I've got a ride in the Melbourne Cup, I've got a live chance, and, you know, how lucky am I? Uh, Graham took ill and the horse went to Mickey Robins. Mm. Uh, Mickey done a wonderful job with him. He won two Melbourne Cups in a year mm. when, he, when he took him over from Graham. And that was, to me, I thought, you know, you get that opportunity in your life that, and, and, and it didn't happen and it, it most likely would never happen again. Um, along came Piping Lane and six days before the race I was a phone call and, and I, I hadn't ridden out South Australia was you know I was South Australian jockey and, and didn't travel and I was, I was, the phone call came through and it said is that John Letts on a Wednesday morning I said yes and they said have you got to ride in the Melbourne Cup next week and I thought and then I thought John I, I thought now I'm trying to recognise this voice because I reckon it's one of my mates yeah having a trying to be a bit yeah <laughs> he's either been out late or he's trying to be smart mm. <clears throat> Anyway, I said, as a matter of fact, I said, I haven't. I said, but I, I said, I'm waiting for Bart Cummings, Colin Hayes, or Tommy Smith to ring me. <laughs> and I knew that wasn't going to happen. Because yeah. uh, Bart and Tommy, uh, and uh, Colin had heard of me, but Tommy Smith had most, most hadn't heard of me. But, uh, and he said, oh, well, you've got a ride. I said, and you know, John, I could have nearly lost the ride. But I said, no, no, actually I haven't. And I said, what weight's a horse got? He said, 48 kilos. And and I said, what's his name? He said, Piping Lane. Mm. And he said, have you heard of him? And I'd, I'd never heard of Piping Lane, mm. but I couldn't say I hadn't heard of him. Mm. So I said, yes. And he said, uh, he goes all right. I said, oh, yeah, he does. And I thought, mm, you know, I've just sort of, I, I've got to ride in the Melbourne Cup. This is, this is my dream now. My dream now was to ride the Melbourne Cup. 
anyway, when I went 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 to Melbourne to ride in the Melbourne Cup, and uh, before I went there, I went on a TV program on a Saturday night, and and it was the Adelaide Tonight Show with Barry Ian, and asked me some questions because at that stage, John, and, and you know, you know yourself being involved in racing, it's very hard for a South Australian or a Western Australian, you know, the the the, uh, the Western states getting jockeys getting rides in the races more the eastern state boys get you know in those days got the the best horses weren't they mm. and 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 he said um he, uh, he asked me some questions uh he said you're riding a horse in the melbourne cup next tuesday john i said yes and he said um you know everything about him i said yes he said you know what weight he's got i said he's got 48 he said do you know where he raced last? I said, yes. I said, he raced last at, let's say, I can't remember now, but it would say it was, uh, he raced in Launceston. And, and then he said, do you know where he finished? I said, yes. I said, he said, do you know what the track was like? I said, yes. He said, you, you know, what Barry, I said, I know everything about him. And he said, uh, what's his name? And I said, Palace Lane. <laughs> and he said, you mean piping lane, don't you? I said, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, everything started off fantastically well for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, John, there's so, so many wonderful stories out of Melbourne Cups that a lot of people don't hear. Uh, I, I went to Melbourne to have a look at Flemington because I'd never been there. Mm. And, and on, on the Monday morning, I was going to have a look at it, and I slept in. Mm. And I thought, well, I, I, I'd, I'd better, I'd better have a look at it Tuesday morning before I go back to the races, mm. uh, because I'll be there in the afternoon. And I slept in again. Mm. And so when I went downstairs from the motel, I went down. And I said to the young girl, "Could, could you get me a taxi to Flemington, please?" She said, uh, "I'm sorry," she said, "but you uh, won't get a cab today." She said, "They're all booked out." And I thought, "Oh, how am I going to get to Flemington? I've got to ride, I've got to ride the Melbourne Cup." Mm. And I, so my brother, luckily my brother was right, playing golf in Melbourne. I rang him and I said, Wayne, look, I've got to ride in the Melbourne Cup today. He said, yeah, well, it was 100 to 1 chance, John, you know, 80 to 100 to 1 chance. And, mm. and my brother said, yeah, I noticed that. And he, I said, could you get me out the track? He said, look, I'll pick you up and drop you at the gate. So he came to the motel, he picked me up, he drove me out. And you know where you drive in, it's like a horseshoe, you the, the member's gate to get dropped off with a cab or you get dropped off in a hire car or whatever mm. and you just walk in the gate in the members. Now, in Adelaide, I could do that easily because I'd been here for years, you know, and the guys on the gate, you know, what's your best today, let's see, or, you know, you got a good ride and just say, you didn't even have to show your badge. Mm. But Flemington's a little bit different on Melbourne Cup Day because they give those guys, you know, white coats and, you know, the sheriff's badge on the side <laughs> and... I walk, went to walk through the gate, and this guy said to me, where are you going? As my brother dropped me off out of the car, I said, in here? He said, what for? Now, I was about, I was the, I was the size of a little pygmy. Mm. I had a saddle on one arm, yeah. a bag of race gear on the other. I was at Flemington on the first Tuesday in November. I'm walking through the member's gate towards the jockey's room. Now, why would I be going there? Mm. Mm. And he asked me why I was going in there. I said, I'm the plumber. And he said, well, the plumbers, use the, the plumbers use the gate down there. And he sent me down to the gate, down where the plumbers go through. Yeah. So now, I walked in there, and then I walked into the room, and, and just to experience walking in there, and I, I walked in, and I, I knew some of these jockeys that had ridden in Adelaide, like Roy Higgins, one of the champion jockeys, mm. uh, Harry White, and there was Pat Highland, and there was Mitch Denham, Bobby Shield. There was... All of the champion jockeys were there, you mm. know, and the, from Australia and New Zealand. And I looked around, I thought, gee, all of these champion jockeys, and then there's me. Mm. 
And and I thought, <laughs> I've got, you know, and they brought the colours in and they said uh, George Hannon's got four runners, I think it was, in the race. And, he, and they, when they brought the colours in, they said, he'll see you out in the mounting yard. Well, the, the, the story is, and it's a true story, I never spoke to George Hannon before the race. Mm. I never met the owner before the race. I never got any instructions before the race. And I never, ever did see Piping Lane again because I only seen him as I walked out to get on him. Mm. Uh, and those are some of the stories out of it. But I really feel, John, that being in the position that I never met and got any instructions because he had he talked to the other three jockeys, and I, I think that helped me win the race because I went out there not having to prove yeah. that I could do what he told me. Yeah. Now, John, and, if we yeah. don't start to roll along a bit, we'll have four segments. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, you followed a well-known horse in that Melbourne Cup who was drawn yep. alongside you in the barrier, a horse yep. called Gunsind. The great one. Yep, the great one. He was. He drew barrier 10, I drew 11. I'll never forget it, John, and Higgs was yeah. on him. Mm. And when I walked in the gate, I thought, you know, I'll follow Gunsend every step of the way because Higgs knows his way around. He's one on red-handed, one on light fingers. Mm. And I knew Roy when, when he came from Adelaide. And, you know, when the gates opened, it was the first time in his life that Gunsend missed the jump. Mm. And I was in front of him. <laughs> and I thought, oh, don't follow me, Roy, please. You, you don't know, I don't know where I'm going. Mm. You know, <laughs> just, I'm just in the pack. I'm just going to follow along. You know, do, hopefully everything goes all right. But everything, everything in the race worked out. Uh, opposite to what I thought it would, John. Yeah. And yet, yet you come out, you come out a winner. Eight years later, you did it again on the American-bred Belldale Ball, trained by Colin Hayes. Colin actually wanted you to ride another one of his horses initially, didn't he? Gay Trebo. Gay Trebo. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. So how did you know, how'd you get on the other one, John? You know the stories about how you get on these horses in Melbourne Cups. Now I'd never heard of Belldale Ball, but I, I, I went I went to Mooney Valley to ride horse called Tollhurst, who I'd won on in Melbourne, a, a, a group one I'd won on him in Melbourne. Johnny Hawkes had him, mm. and, and, and Johnny Hawkes for him, he said, you go to Melbourne Saturday and ride Tollhurst in the Cox Plate. I said, no, no, I'm not going. I was going to ride here in Adelaide. He said, no, no, you're going to Melbourne. He said, because you're riding Tollhurst in the Doncaster, and, and he said, you've ridden, a, you ride her, and he said, and the owner wants you on both horses. I thought, well, I, I, she's a very good mare, mm. and, and I thought, I, I better stick, so... I knew he had no chance because he was a seven furlong horse, but it was a mile a quarter. Uh, and, and I went over there, and while I was there, Colin Hayes put me on a horse in the, in, in the Mooney Valley Cup. And in the mounting yard, she actually stubbed her, stubbed her toe on, on, on the rubber bricks that they have in there and, and put a nail through the, her hoof. And the vet came over and said, we'll have to scratch her. And Colin actually talked the vet into letting her run. He said, look. He said, there's a spot of blood there. He said, but he said, let John take her to the barrier. And if she's not right... Scratch her. Mm. So the vet said, okay. So I took her to the barrier, put her in the gate, and she drew one, and she had a nice run all the way. She was just behind the two leaders, and one of those leaders was Bill Dale Ball outside the leader. Mm. And, and Higgs rode him, and, and anyway, when I, when I pulled up, Sia said, how'd she go? She ran last. I said, she went terrible, Sia. So I said, she's not lame, but she just, she's not there today. And, he, and, he, and I said, what was that horse you had in the race that set up outside the leader? He said, oh, he's a horse called Belldale Ball. He said, uh, I said, the one in Robert Sangster's colours? He said, yes. Mm. He said, but he said, he, look, he's a non-trial. He said, I've got a horse called Gay Trebo. He said, jump on him. He said, he's won three or four of his last five. He mm. said, he, he's got a real chance in the race. And I said, no, I want to ride him. And it's as if John, as if someone had told me, 
stick with him, you know. I didn't know him, but stick with him. Anyway, I, I, he, he said, I'll give you till tomorrow morning to make up your mind. So Sunday morning he rang me and he said, what are you, you going to do? I said, I'm riding Bildo Ball. He said, okay, you picked the wrong one. I said, fair enough. So then I rode him on the Saturday and he ran second behind Bohemian Grove, went very well. And then I said to Robert Sankster, I said, you win the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday with this horse, mm. Robert. And he said, uh, uh, Bohemian Grove? I said, no, Beldale Ball. He said, oh, I think the other one will beat you again. And, he, and I said, you win the biggest race in the world on Tuesday. And he said, you know, John, he said, I've won Kentucky derbies, I've won derbies, English derbies. He said, I've won races all around the world. He said, a two-mile handicap to me. He said, I am a racing purist. He said, I love weight for age. I love three-year-olds. And he said, the Melbourne Cup, he, he, he said, is not up there with them. And I said, oh, fair enough. So anyway, after the race, I spoke to Robert and we, we, were, we, were, we just had a coffee after the race. And I said, what did you think of the Melbourne Cup, Robert? He said, the Melbourne Cup is the greatest race in the world. Did he? <laughs> yeah, and, and he meant it. Yeah. And, and at the presentation, I had to laugh, John, because CS, Colin Hayes, they, at the presentation, he said, you know, Colin, Beldale Ball, he's won the Melbourne Cup. And that. he said, yes. He said, I always knew he was a good horse. <laughs> I'd have been on the other one if I had listened to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. Hey, John, you broke a million bones in your 30-year career in the saddle. Yes. Luckily, most of them were minor breaks, but one of them was very serious. And it puts you in the paraplegic ward of an Adelaide hospital for six months. And doctors yep. were pretty concerned, weren't they? They, they, they were, John. Uh, you know, jockeys, we, we talk about injuries, jockeys talk about injuries, but all jockeys have injuries. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the nature of the beast, really. It, 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 it happens. It's, it's, like, it's like in harness racing or galloping racing, there'll always be injuries. No, one's, no one gets left out. They, they follow you everywhere. And, mm. and, and I went to Gawler, and, and it was the last race of the day, and I was, I was running third on the fence in, in a field of about 10, and, and the horse in front of me dropped dead. Mm. And I went straight over the top of him and, and fractured my neck. And they told told me, well, I didn't wake up for a couple of days, but they told my mum that uh, mother that I was I was a quadriplegic and then then a paraplegic because I got feeling back in my hands. Mm. Uh, I spent six months in in the Royal Adelaide Hospital with a with a nurse, a sister called Sister Adamson, and she was just fantastic to me. She was mm. one of the loveliest ladies I'd ever met. And you know, John, it's funny. I, I woke up after two days, and she, she used to back me all the time, and I di I didn't know. I didn't know Sophie then, and I looked up and she said, oh, Johnny, she said, I'm so glad you picked my ward. <laughs> I, what I didn't have any say in it. What an honour. <laughs> I didn't even know where I was. Yeah. But, but I spent six months in there, John, and, and, and I've got to tell you, and this is a true story, and, and, uh, but I, I, I was in there and that Sister Adamson said, oh, you're going home in a week, John. She said, you'll be able to sit up and you'll wriggle your... Wriggle your legs, and then you'll you'll be mm. able to have, have. You know, I mean, 
you, you, you're, you're lying on your back with a sandbag either side of your head and you're in traction for, for mm. months and, and, you, and you don't sort of get out of the bed. They move you every two or three hours, and which mm. is very uncomfortable for you, but, but you have to put up with it. And she said, you're going home in a week. I said, could, could you leave me for two weeks? I said, I'm running an SP here at the moment. I said, I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a true story. And it was with the, with the guys, the orderlies. <laughs> I was running an SP. So, so I, mean, I wish I'd have gone home earlier because they had a good trot after that. But, <laughs> but, well, but I, uh, I, I went to Melbourne after I got, got back. And, and, John, you know Geoffrey Lane. I, oh, must, yeah. I must tell you this story. Geoffrey Lane wrote to me, and I didn't know Jeff, mm. and, and we've became, become good mates since. But Geoffrey Lane wrote to me from Hong Kong, and he, he wrote me a letter and he said, John, he said, I heard about your unfortunate accident. He said, what I want you to do when you come out of hospital he said, I want you to come to Hong Kong. I will get you the best doctors in the world. I will pay all expenses. And he said, you come up here. And he said, and we'll try and get you back in the saddle. And that was, that was Jeffrey Lane. And I never knew him, John. No. No, great A man, A wonderful Jeffrey. person. He wonderful person. Um, I, I went to Caulfield. A friend of mine rang me. He said, come to Caulfield. And I, I had a surgical collar on. Mm. And I was standing by the bedding ring. And, 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 and I still, I couldn't, I was, I was like Herman Munster, you know, couldn't move my head. Yeah. It was just permanently fixed like a rusty bolt. Yeah. And I was standing by the betting ring and I was actually breaking the law because I was still a licensed jockey. Mm. And, and, and a guy ran past me and my friend was standing alongside me and this guy hit me on the side of the face with his, with his shoulder or his elbow and it just went crack and I fell to the ground and my mate said, you're right, and I, I turned my head. It's the first time I turned it in, in, in seven months. Mm. And I said, my neck. I said, that guy's fixed it. Mm. And he picked me up. He said, are you okay? I said, look, he said, I said, give him 100. And then I thought, no, no, we're, we're not going to do well today. I said, give him 10. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, John, that guy, and I don't know where he is, but God bless him. Yeah. He doesn't know that he did what he did to me. He was running through the ring to have a bet. And, John, he doesn't know what he did. No. And he doesn't know who I was. He doesn't know what he did. But he, he was a godsend to me. And, and after that, I came back, told my doctor what happened, and he said, well, in those days, they didn't, they didn't actually uh, recognize chiropractors. Mm. And he said, because we could cut your spinal cord. Mm. And I said, and, and I told him what happened. He said, well, that was, he said, that is a miracle. He said, because he hit you at the right spot, the right pressure, and at the right right place and and he said he everything's and everything was back perfect again john yeah john it was a genuine miracle yeah it was a genuine miracle john and and you know i thank god for that that gentleman but look i don't know him he doesn't know what he did but you know he's out there somewhere and, and i just hope he has a, a long and happy life because he, he's he's bought he, he got my life back to me and johnny let's return to the saddle and the good lord must have thought he owed you one because he arranged for you to win first up your very first ride back was a winner. John, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I rode a horse called Red Camellia. And, you know, you worry. I'd ridden in trials. I'd ridden track work. And, and I thought, am, can I come back? Can I come back? Mm. And it was at Cheltenham Racetrack. And, you know, John, that was the most emotional day for myself on behalf of myself that I spent on a racetrack because the horse won. And, you know, being the leading jockey here in Adelaide, people just clapped and cheered me on the way back and, 
I, I, that was the day I, I, I did have a genuine tear in my eye that day. Um, and, and, you know, the, the South Australian public, I, I mean, you know we're without the public. You know we're without the public. They make you. Mm. And they made me that day, and, and, and I've never, ever forgot. I, I knew it before, but I've never, ever forgotten it since. Well, John, you've been a remarkable competitor. You've had a long-term love affair with the standard bred horse which led you to the unique situation where you held two licences, a jockey's licence and a harness driver's licence. You drove 40 registered winners, and I seem to recall one occasion when you completed a unique double. You rode the last winner at a Melbourne Metropolitan meeting, you jumped in the car, you rushed to Mooney Valley, and you drove the first winner at the trots a couple of hours later. That's right, a horse called Tommy Lachlan. Mm. Tommy Lachlan and, 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 and um, Pat Layla's brother, Jared, got me the drive on it. Mm. He said, I've got your drive. He said, it's got no hope. He said, but he said, I've got your drive because I want you to have a drive at Mooney Valley. And, mm. you know, that was funny that night, John, because uh, there was Vinny Knight mm. and, 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 and uh, uh, Gavin Lang. I think it was Gavin or, or, or Graham. Mm. And we went over the line because on their backs, you can usually tell, we could tell, you know, within an inch or two. Mm. But in the sulky, I didn't know who'd won it. And when we're pulling up, Gavin come up alongside and he said, he said, you won't be Vinny in a photo. He said, I can't. Mm. <laughs> and I did. And I thought, I, I thought, oh, well, I'll be getting back second. I'm happy, you know. Yeah. But I did beat it. So it was a wonderful memory, wonderful memory. Now, John, casting modesty aside... You were pretty good at the caper, driving those paces. Yeah, we had, we had a we had a fair bit of luck, John. We we drove a few winners. I was lucky. I I was I was lucky. I drove in in Sydney and I drove in Perth and I drove in Macau mm. and, and and Adelaide, of course. But I, I was lucky. I, I drove a, a few winners there, and and I, you know, John. I think the reason that I went to it was because I grew up with a lot of guys that went into the harness world. And, and I'll, I'll tell you something about the harness, the harness industry, John. And, and I really feel that this this is really genuine. You can learn so much from harness trainers. In even in our industry, we can learn from harness trainers. You know, John, we put a saddle on, we put a bridle on, we put a set of shoes on, mm. and then we put a jockey on, and we run around the circle. Mm. Okay, but you have a look, and you've been involved. When you get horses, and when I first started in horses, there was, now you can put the blinkers on and off them during the race. You have shortness coming out the barrier that makes the hobbles go longer when you pull a cord and the nails come out of the, mm. out of the, out of the hobbles. Yeah. Uh, you, you, have, you, you have garters, you, you, you have uh, spreaders, you have uh, knee boots, and you, all your shoes are done different. Mm. Um, I, I, when, I, when I first went into harness racing, it, it was just like getting dressed up to go to the dance sometimes when you put all this gear on. <laughs> and, you know, you, you have, you have uh, earplugs and, mm. and, 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 and things like, you know, that thing, John, I don't know what they call it, but it goes, goes across your nose and it looks like a broom. And it, <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, we, we, we didn't experience any of that. Yeah, that's called a stone veil. Oh, right. A, a, yeah. a stone veil. It, it can be used for two reasons. Uh, some horses are very sensitive uh, to the grit, the tiny little particles coming up off the wheels and hitting them in the face. Yes. So that uh, that veil protects them from that sensation. And if you get a horse who won't concentrate on his racing, a horse whose mind is somewhere else, 
uh, that stone veil flapping around on their nose can just distract them, just take their mind off whatever was worrying them. Oh, right. Well, I, I, I always thought it for, for horses that jump shadows. You know, as you know, horses, you know, you put the nose roll on and, you, yeah. and, and, and they jump shadows. And I thought oh, I thought it was for that. No, well, that's what it's called, a stone veil, and I always understood that it, it had two purposes, as I've just explained to you. Right, yes, yes, yes. John, you know, one night I, I was, I was, went to the, uh, I rode at Cheltenham and I, I had to go to, um, out to Globe Derby to drive in the first and I rode for a guy named Alan Hunter. You remember Alan Hunter? Mm. Hunter Products? Yeah. And I rode a mare called Lara Tabella. She was a very good trotter. And, and, and I was, and Chris Laird was the trainer and I, and Chris said, I'm putting you on Lara Tabella tonight. And I said, no, I, I, I haven't driven a square gator before, Chris. I said, mm. I, I'd like driving the paces, but I don't want to drive a square gator. Mm. And he said, well, look, Ray Gable's driving his own horse. He said, and Ray said to put you on it. Now, Ray was always, he, he was great with the square gators. You know, he was, he, he was fantastic. He was like the Langs, you know, like, like Graham Lang. Mm. They, they really got the square gators going really good. And, and we, we're walking around before the mobile starts up, and this is a true story. And I had never driven a square gator before. And I said to Ray, I drew alongside him, I said, Ray, I said, when we get going, I said, tell me if this horse is pacing or trotting. I said, because I've never driven a trotter. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and I, he said, you're not fair, Dinkum. I said, Chris put me on it. I said, I didn't even know I was driving it. <laughs> anyway... I went and it trotted because she felt sorry for me, so she trotted. She won, but she trotted all the way. You know, John, I didn't know. I really didn't know. She didn't have hobbles, but I didn't know whether whether she'd pace. But I said to him, if she paces, tell me and I'll try and do what you blokes do, try and make them trot. <laughs> so, so we went to the first corner and she trotted beautifully all the way. Yeah, good on you. Well, mate, um, look, we could go on for three days. Three Adelaide Cups. Five Goodwood handicaps. You mentioned Johnny Hawks earlier. You won a derby for him on Galena Boy. It was probably the big race win that got him going. Yes, uh, yes, it certainly was. You won on Ming Dynasty for Bart. Uh, John, your story is uh, just amazing. It's, it's so full of fun and full of stories and full of success and achievement. When I think of you riding racehorses and flashing past the post in front, do you know my most vivid memory of Jay Letts winning a big race? Mm. It often flashes into my mind. The 1977 Epsom, you yes. rode a, an imported English horse called Raffendale. He was one of the prettiest greys I've ever seen, and at full stretch he used to stream his tail out behind him. I can still see you coming down the straight at Randwick with that grey horse and his tail stuck straight out behind him. It's one of the prettiest sights I've ever seen on an Australian race course, and you were the rider. Well, John, you know Graham Pethick, who owned that horse, he, he, he said to me, I've got a fair horse, and i seen him run, and I said, take him interstate, because I was living interstate at the time, mm. and he had another horse, and, you know, sometimes I've always got a better one home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Graham said to me, he said, do you think Dub this horse is all right? Uh, Raffendale, he said, you won't, you, you see Double East. And I said, I'll have the grey one. And Double East, so I didn't win a race. <laughs> and Raffendale was a great horse. Wasn't he? Mm, great horse. Well, Jono, I've looked at the timepiece and uh, I'm afraid we've exhausted uh, our supply. But uh, it's been a delight I didn't know where to start and I didn't know where to finish, so I just did the best I could. <laughs> uh, we've had a great talk, John. It's always lovely to talk to you. You know that. Letsy, 
congratulations on all you've achieved in many different uh, spheres. Uh, whatever you've tried, you, you finished up mastering, and uh, it's a life you can look back on with great pride and great satisfaction. Someone said to me the other day, John, you know, and I don't know whether it's an old saying or not, so someone said to me the other day, how would you like to be remembered? I said, I'd just like to be remembered, that's all. I said, not for one special thing, I'd just like to be remembered. <laughs> I can guarantee, my boy, you will be. And this uh, podcast has been produced by Supernova Sound and my guest, racing icon, Johnny Letts. Thanks, John. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis number one in its field. 